I remember just when Andre signed with the Warriors and, you know, all the relationships that just came from, you know, that in, from from initially just being in the, in the Valley and all the education that I was getting and all the access that we we're getting, but also understanding, you know, what it meant as well, right? So it's not just being there, it's actually activating as well. It's education, learning. And um, I thought to myself, first and foremost, I was usually the only African-American in the room, you know, and I still am for the most part. Um, secondly, it was also, it'd be so interesting. This is so powerful. Um, and I see exactly where it's going. It'd be so interesting if more athletes and more people had access to this. The new off-court play for NBA stars is startup equity, and potentially ownership in teams and leagues. Today's guest is a friend. He's an entrepreneur and partner of the Athlete Tech Summit I've attended in San Francisco over the past two summers, Rudy Klein-Thomas. Rudy and his business partner, Andre Godala have reinvented the modern athlete over the last decade. And let's face it, the NBA and their athletes are not only at the forefront of sports competition across all sports and entertainment, but they're leading trends in pop culture and now venture investing. And after years of hard work in learning the business of sports and athlete representation, Rudy has become the source of advice and mentorship for pro athletes, especially in the NBA, looking to break into early stage investing. His network includes some of the most successful CEOs and VCs in the Valley, as well as star athletes like Andre, Neymar, and David Beckham, to name a few. On the show, we discuss how he forged a whole new role inside the sports industry, Iguodala's initial challenge, which led to his career taking off, and his advice to folks looking to work professionally in sports. After all, it's an exciting time to be in the business of sports and media, isn't it? Suiting Up is a show that explores the psychology, playbook of tools, and strategies of the most influential people in sports, entrepreneurship, and entertainment. Enjoy my conversation with Mr. Rudy Klein-Thomas. Rudy, thanks for joining me, man. Thank you, man. The DMV boys. There we go. That's exactly yeah, so right. You forgot all about that. See, I was, that was my little thing I had in my back pocket to remind <laughs> you where you came from. I know where exactly you came from. That's you know? right. Yeah, we share that among other things. And uh, and now actually just down the street from each other in Williamsburg. Exactly. We're neighbors still. You know what I mean? So from uh, I actually moved to where you grew up in Kensington, uh, going to school there. And then um, you followed me here. Yeah, so I'll, I'll take that. What do you think about now New York versus D.C.? You know how it is. Whenever I go back home, I feel like nothing's really changed. Everybody's mm -hmm. like, oh, D.C.'s changed and stuff. No disrespect to hometown, <laughs> but it doesn't feel too much different when you go back. Maybe just because it's home, you know? Yeah. I know you feel the same way for the most part. Yeah, yeah. When you go back home, it, it definitely feels the same. It's a bit nostalgic being able to get back with your family and then see all your friends that, that stuck around. But New York definitely brings, I tell people, especially in sports, it, it brings access to exactly. major sports brands, exactly. the largest media companies and networks in the world. Exactly. Was that probably, or was it's that everything. one of the reasons why you came? I got a, early on, so I got the bug uh, junior year before, um, uh, before I graduated from school, I got an internship at the NBA. And uh, that really exposed me to New York. And I remember thinking when it was over, like, this is exactly where I need and want to be. So yeah. I've had a love affair with it for, for the longest time. And it actually hasn't waned. You've talked about before that internship at the NBA and how it was seminal to you deciding that you wanted to originally pursue the agency model and, and see what that was all about. Um, prior to that, though, your family was a big inspiration to you. Your dad was a porter at one point, then got into finance, yeah. ended up being an executive at Marriott. Yeah. 
you studied finance at Providence. Was yeah. that primarily the track that you pursued? Yeah, that was because it. Because of him? That was it. Um, I always tell my dad it was more so indirect. It's not like, you know, he would sit me down and we'd do everything. It's like, you know, when you come home from school, um, all that they watched, all he watched was, you know, it was mostly, you know, whether it's, you know, business uh, 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 shows and, and CNN yeah. and things like that. And, and what was interesting is uh, all the the magazines at the Marriott that, you know, would grow out of circulation or, you know, week after week, he wouldn't throw them away. You know, he'd bring them home. So essentially, that's the stuff that I, I was reading from a young age. You know, uh, it wasn't it wasn't anything else. That's all I had to read. So I actually read more of that stuff than my did actual homework, which is crazy. Right. How did you get the internship at the NBA? It's a probably a, one of the most highly sought after positions exactly. now. But this was at a time you and I are, are in yeah. the same age group yeah. where the NFL was king. Yeah. Now we've seen that paradigm shift exactly on, on the ground floor, at least with the exposure that we have in sports business and media. But how did you get that internship? I remember thinking like sophomore year, I was like, OK, well, you know, the, the, you know, basketball is hopefully going to be in my future in some way or how it's not going to obviously be playing. So I need to figure out what my future is going to be. And uh you know, I was like, what the hell am I going to do? Right? Yeah. So I went to the counseling office and I remember getting the address of the uh, seeing the NBA internship. And just like you said, it was like a book of the most coveted internships, you know, and I think I wrote down like three of them. One was a Reebok. Can you imagine Reebok nowadays? You know, yeah. when the intern <laughs> Reebok, right? It was in Stoughton, Massachusetts, which wasn't too far away from Providence where I went. So uh, those are the two I, I remember picking. And I literally wrote them um, PB like, Every two weeks, I wrote him a letter like, you know, I can't even remember what I put in it, but I just remember just writing them on and on. And, and um, I got the Reebok internship and um, I remember the NBA called me um, right before I was um, literally two, two or three days before the end of my junior year. And they said that they let me in. And I realized that I was the last person that they let in. Either somebody either declined it or pulled out, but I was literally the last person in. And when I spoke to the um, to the um, the coordinator of the um, internship program, she uh, she told me um, it was essentially me just not giving up and her getting all those letters, you know, consistently yeah. is what got me in there. That, so that type of persistence yeah, 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 I've, sure. I've seen from our relationship yeah. just over the last two years, but that handwritten note to secure that internship or the, the number of uh, times that you did that, you continued that strategy as an intern at the NBA, your buddies with Steve Francis, he kind of helped formulate that first spark where you said, hey, I think the agency business is interesting because he had trouble securing an agent. Mm -hmm. You gave him some advice. Mm -hmm. So then you're writing all the major agencies mm -hmm. and you got your first job at Williams and Connolly. Right, yeah. Um, great exposure there. You became the youngest agent in the NBA. Yeah. What were some of those early days like? Oof. As someone who you know not only broke ground with your age and representation, in sports, but kind of interacting with the traditional agency model. That's good. I, I think I got really, really lucky um, getting um, working with Lon straight out of school because of, of how he approached the business, right? So, um, Williams Economy, you know, top law firm in DC, uh, one of the top law firms in the nation, and um, their approach to the sports agency model was quite different at the time and forward thinking to where they charge an hourly fee to hmm. the um to the athletes did you work with jim tanner yeah i did work yeah. with jim tanner so you had um you had lon babby 
Jim Tanner, um, Jason Levian um, in that group, you know, yeah. all of them did extremely well. And again, I was extremely lucky um, to, to, uh, to work with all those three gentlemen. And, and Lon had a specific approach where he only worked with a, um, t a specific type of client, right? Um, you know, Grant Hill and Tim Duncan at the time, uh, uh, Ray Allen as well too. And, you know, just look at it now, you know, you know how those guys have succeeded and who they are and how they think as well too. So um, that made his job much easier, but he was able to really focus on what his strengths were, which were the negotiations. Hmm. Um, and it allowed, you know, all the BS that, you know, a lot of the other agents dealt with, and, you know, he wasn't really accustomed to it. Um, and he really stuck to that, you know, um, most of the guys he recruited were in North Carolina. I think they had Shane Battier and, and Duke. Um, and uh, they just stuck to that model. And um, that really uh, gave me the notion of, you know, these guys are extremely smart athletes. Um, they have um, the power to do so much more. Um, and that kind of gave me that, that, that inkling, like, you know what, you know, moving forward, these are the kind of guys that I want to work with. Yeah, so Tim Duncan and Grant Hill were part of that group, and yeah. you were working on their business. Yeah. So real quick, though, charging an hourly fee from a legal standpoint is much different than how most sports agents typically right. charge, which is kind of free advice and consulting, but they'll take a percentage of the deal. Right. Uh, and sometimes that, that percentage varies depending on whether it's the on-court player contract or sometimes it's parsed out a lower fee for an endemic deal, like a shoe deal, right. and a non-endemic deal would be like a Gatorade or a Visa or an AT&T yeah. where they charge a larger fee. Yeah. So you've, you learned all that. What's, what's your preference? That's a good question, man. You know, you and I discussed this at length, um, and I honestly think that Lon Babby might have been, you know, 20 years ahead of his time, right? Mm -hmm. You know, um, in the next five years, um, I think that we'll be talking about that model uh, more prevalently than that, than it existed, you know, 15 years ago. Um, even look at your career, you yeah. know, and exactly where you're going. You've, you're, you're a business, you know, you're not just an athlete. Now you're a business and you've created a business um, into itself and the representation, representation that you needed, you know, um, when you, when you graduated from school versus who you are now has changed dramatically, you yeah. know, and it's going to change moving forward as well too. So um, I think that that, um, I think that more athletes are thinking about that, you know, and, and again, you're a, you're a really good example of that, but I think more athletes will be thinking about doing things like you're doing now much earlier in their careers as well. And then, you know, how to tailor representation moving forward. Yep. And, and you did so away from the court for your own career, yeah. a couple of years out of Williams and Connolly, yeah. you were 25, you started Blueprint. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it's interesting because you've now progressed and I wanna spend some time around the investment side of things sure. and mastery and, sure. and some of the other work that you're doing. But your first step was into athlete advisory. Right. And you said that, that yourself, that that was a crowded space. Right. But what you were doing was spending time with athletes and getting them away from what the media has covered over the last decades of this like bankruptcy model of investing in t-shirt right. companies, real estate, franchises, et cetera. Right. And that's where a lot of the athlete money was going. Right. You were entering this you know, modern age of new media and tech right. where athletes became more valuable because right. they had access to an audience, they had instantaneous influence on demand and saying, okay, let's try to think more strategically. Mm -hmm. um, early days of Blueprint, right. what was that like? Ooh. Um, well, you know, I was naive at the time. I mean, honestly speaking, if if, if I'd have known a lot of things that I knew today, um, Blueprint definitely wouldn't have existed and, and just understanding <laughs> the entire landscape. So, you know, I was young. 
um, you know, African-American. Most of my friends in my network were, were the athletes. Um, so I, I didn't think that it would be too hard. Um, I didn't have any gray hair at the time. Um, that's definitely changed. But, uh, you know, just understanding the, the education level of the athletes at scale and, and how they think and how they come to making decisions um, is different from the financial aspect versus, you know, the agent as well, too. Um, and I realized that um, a lot of what I saw and experienced with Lon, I realized why he ran his business the way that he did. And I used a lot of that, just, you know, um, um, those learnings and, and applied it to my business and moving forward. I knew that I wasn't going to build a, a, a business with a lot, of, a ton of clients because I knew a lot of the, I couldn't essentially work with a lot of them in, in mm -hmm. reference to what I was doing. I had no, I was never interested in just, you know, creating a safe haven with, with athletes. Um, um, I think me being as young as I was too, when I started it, had a, had a big influence in how I was running the business because I had so many interests, um, uh, more so than just sports and just, you know, uh, financial wealth and just planning, you know, um, I saw exactly where the paradigm was shifting. Um, and then the conversations that I was having with a lot of the athletes, just because they were, we were all the same age was also very, very different in understanding who they wanted to be, where they wanted to go and learning together. Yeah. And, and you were a pioneer of this paradigm shift that we'll jump into. If you're anything like me, your workout is one of the most revitalizing and important parts of your day. Here are the keys to a great workout. Plenty of water, a healthy diet, proper form, and the quality of your sleep. Did you know a third of Americans aren't getting good sleep? And Molecule sleep products are here to change that. Molecule was air-engineered to create the sleekest and coolest mattress in the world. They have proprietary open-cell foam technology that works to achieve up to three times the airflow of the nearest competitor, and they also have the coolest bed sheets out there. With a unique blend of cotton and tensile, they can offer unmatched softness and durability for the ultimate comfort and cooling experience. So Molecule helps you bring your A-game, but not just during those workout days, during every night of your rest, asked Super Bowl-winning quarterback Russell Wilson and Olympic gold medalist Nasia Lukin. Even renowned neurologists and sleep doctors agree that Molecule sleep products are for anyone striving to maximize their performance. And because you're a student of podcast listener, you're probably trying to maximize your performance too. So I'm going to give you $250 off any Molecule mattress or $50 off any Molecule sheet set if you go to onmolecule.com forward slash suiting up to begin the best sleep of your life. That is onmolecule.com forward slash suiting up. Molecule, optimal sleep for ultimate performance. The athlete who was investing in precarious projects previously, we've seen on shows the Anton Walkers and the Gilbert Arenases. What were, and you don't have to include names, but what were some projects that you were seeing regularly that a lot of athletes were investing in where you were like, gosh, this has got to change? And essentially led to you helping facilitate that. Well, it was it wasn't more so even projects. It was just more so um, that they just weren't being held accountable, right? You know, um, I saw the aspect of most of them had relationships with their financial advisors, where um, there wasn't there wasn't a sense of responsibility, right? So, um, you know, with the clients that I had, it, it was more so 
education, you know, understanding the responsibility that you had making this much money. It wasn't just like, you know, here's your statement every month. Um, I had no interest in, in being, you know, a babysitter of, of, uh, of their money. You know, it was more so empowerment, you know, yep. from the get-go. Um, but what that does is that, that fosters a certain sense of relationship as well. And it's not very easy because, you know, you're a professional athlete. The sense of responsibility is different once you're deemed a special athlete, right? Yep. Whereas most of the people that are around you want to take that responsibility away from you, right? Yep. Um, I, never, I never fell in that bucket whatsoever, right? So it was more so um, specific to challenging them to, to learn, um, be educated, and empowering them to do more so than what they were doing on the court and in the field. Yeah, and, and the, I would say that there's a variable that you can't control, and, and you had mentioned kind of getting excited around this career opportunity through spending time with some of the athletes at Williams and Connolly. Mm-hmm. We mentioned Tim Duncan yeah. and Grant Hill, yeah. smart athletes like Andre Iguodala. Yeah. You, you can't teach the passion and the excitement around education and learning. Yeah. You know, Jalen Brown was yeah. at a great example, yeah. a young NBA star yeah. Yeah. at the Athlete Tech Summit. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's that aspect where you have to identify that talent. Right. And then spending time to help them grow intellectually is something that I think one is a stereotype in, in sports that, that athletes are just jocks. Mm-hmm. Um, but the conundrum there is that athletes like any successful industry professional has to spend an exorbitant amount of time at their craft. And then that's ongoing to continue to excel and achieve and different than any other industry in sports. Your lifetime value on average is about two and a half years. So you have to push even harder. So we we all share the total amount of bandwidth that we can you know, spend our energy and time on on a day yeah. as, as in way of resources. So to have someone who's mentoring you and and kind of embodying that opportunity to grow intellectually, which is speaking for myself, something that I have done over the last three to five years more than I had previously mm-hmm. is, is a really invigorating experience. Yeah. Um, when you met Andre for the first time and really kicked off this this uh, career, this new career now, where you've built a, a huge client list, and mm-hmm. you know he has excelled, and, and you guys have kind of built this new model together. It was kind of an interesting moment. Initially, when I met him, you know, you realize when you meet him that he doesn't think he, he's not an athlete. You know, from you know the the, the perspective that most think of in, in reference to athletes. You know, he thinks for himself, right? Mm. So he's never going to follow. Uh, anything traditionally he, he he really understands who he is and what he wants and he doesn't really care about you know what others are doing or how others think you know so I mean let's you can even go back and, and looking at me you know I was a young guy we're only four years difference in age right so um, he he had to entrust in me you know right before he signed you know his big max contract you know with Philadelphia um, at the time I was just starting my business I was three years or two or three years out the gate. We had known each other um, since his second or third year in the league. And, um, you know, he wanted to move from his existing relationship, and it was one of the biggest financial firms in the sports industry, yep. right? So, again, he had to entrust me to, to do the right thing by him um, when, you know, everybody and their mother wanted to have him as a client. Yep. Yeah. How do you think about original thought? You mentioned Andre having that. It, it sticks with me because a lot of people think that, and I see it in, in in my sport and others that 
it, it's just rudimentary. Well, it's, where it's, it's, it's not. Yeah, well, it's human behavior. You know, human behavior is to follow the masses, right? Mm -hmm. You know, um, the advent of social media has also made it even stronger with, with public sentiment. So um, you're here today and you've built this because you're an original thinker, right? Um, you're, you have the capability to think outside the box. And I don't want to interview you, but I, I, it's interesting to know where you got that from and, and where it stems from. And you probably can go all the way back and, and think of, you yeah. know, when you started thinking individually and, and understanding um, the opportunities um, that you can do. And it actually is probably what's made you a successful athlete. You know what I mean? And understanding that you could probably achieve anything that you put your mind to. Right. right. Um, and you've applied that to your business acumen now. And again, that's why we're sitting here and that's why you, you've gotten to this point. And that's why moving forward, um, you're going to create something that's, you know, never been created by someone in your discipline before, because you can actually believe that, but that's not how most athletes think. And that's not how most of the people they surround themselves with allow them to think as well. And that's what, in, in my opinion, makes LeBron James so special as well. Yeah, I think a lot of it is embedded in our curiosity. Correct. And uh, and all athletes have that. Yeah. And it's interesting you brought that up because I look at the way that I practiced growing mm -hmm. up and how I built my skill around uh, you know, little tweaks in my exercises mm -hmm. and and skill work and constantly thinking, hey, what can I do creatively to improve, to do something different than the other midfielders on the field or other shooting guards on the court when I was playing basketball? So that curiosity is embedded in athletes. It just often isn't brought to life in the boardroom. And I think two reasons. Uh, one is fear mm -hmm. uh, and, and having low confidence because of just very few reps we right. get because we're involved in another profession. Mm -hmm. And then two, a, a lack of mentorship mm -hmm. uh, or inviting someone to learn and sit down and say, here, here's how we should think about it. Which brings me to the Athlete Tech Summit. Mm -hmm. and, and and you and Andre uh, built this one uh, out of the gates, but you had always done like dinners mm -hmm. and networking events. And so really opening up to other athletes mm -hmm. to, to learn. Uh, so the genesis of the Athlete Tech Summit um, where did that come from, inspiration, and then talk about the challenges of executing on something like that? Good question. I, uh, it started out um, in, I remember just when Andre signed with the Warriors and, you know, all the relationships that just came from, you know, that in, from, from initially just being in the, in the Valley and all the education that I was getting and all the access that we we're getting. But also understanding, you know, what it meant as well, right? So it's not just being there, it's actually activating as well. It's education learning. And um, I thought to myself, first and foremost, I was usually the only African-American in the room, you know, and I still am for the most part. Um, secondly, it was also, it'd be so interesting. This is so powerful. Um, and I see exactly where it's going. It'd be so interesting if more athletes and more people had access to this. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that's when it's just triggered in my mind, like, you know, how could we possibly give um, give people and, and athletes more access to, to what we're learning and what we're seeing? And I think it could be helpful for both sides, you know, the industry, tech industry, and also sports as well. Um, and we want to start it out. Andre's like, you know what, let's start with my teammates. Mm -hmm. You know, let's see, you know, we, they ask me questions all the time. They're reading about all the different things that I'm doing. You know, it's, it's really something that uh, is a topic of conversation in the locker room. So I was like, all right, cool. You know, um, let's start out with the teammates. And we did that huge event in City Hall. Mm -hmm. um, and it just took off from there, you know, literally. And uh, one of my 
uh, close friends and who I grew up with and was a client as well. Uh, Roger Mason Jr. luckily was working at the um, Players Association and, and saw it and said, you know, um, I love what you guys are doing out there. This would be great if it, if it became part of, you know, what we did as well, too. And, and that's where the summit, you know, Genesis started. Yeah. And and I loved, especially uh, attending my first one, there were certain areas that you've carved out that are really exclusive and behind closed doors. And that goes to the point around understanding uh, the, the athlete's level of comfort mm-hmm. and sharing information and, and talking openly and publicly and not, and not feeling any fear around you know, stepping up and asking questions. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so that was great. So essentially you have a bunch of prominent athletes in a room. You have top VCs all over Silicon Valley and coming in from LA. Uh, Bloomberg and LinkedIn mm-hmm. have helped over the past two years amplify some core messaging, but also uh, create a little bit more of a um, you know an, an all-encompassing event. Correct. Uh, and it's one day yeah. because of the strains on all of our bandwidth. Exactly. So, and attention spans as well. And attention yeah, spans as well. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's funny. You and I were talking after this event uh, in, in August and, you know, People come in and you're always openly inviting feedback. So they say, well, why don't we do this two or three days because it's so great. And then, you know, let's have more breaks in between sessions. And I think what you realized and what you had said there is like, yeah, we'd love to carve out an entire week for this, but these guys are are training. They're traveling overseas and and they're taking on other meetings. So you understand realistically and practically what you can pull off. And it's efficient as well too, you know, efficiency is key here as well too. So and and you get it and it's efficient for you too. I mean, you're you're extremely busy um having it one day compartmentalized and you know, year after year you know, next year you'll, you'll, you'll get even more out of it and you'll know exactly how to activate it even better, you yep. know, given the relationships and the people that are in the room. When you and Andre first started investing, mm-hmm. check sizes and probably still are in the range of 25K up to north of six figures yeah. and seven. Yeah. Um, and, and that all depends on your investment thesis and the stage of the business Correct. and your level of confidence. And there's a number of other factors there. But how did you guys formulate your investment thesis out of the gates? And some of the companies that you've been involved in is Casper, Players Tribune, yeah. Walker & Company, Thrive Global. Yeah. Uh, it's... It's interesting. It, it, it didn't start with a specific thesis. Um, we had everything thrown at us. You know, I, I chose specific people to really learn and listen from, and they gave us access to their portfolios. And I just started following very closely all the CEOs and, and getting into their heads of, of how they think about problems, um, you know, how they're scaling their companies and how they pivot from, you know, either one business to the next or around the different issues and problems that they have or they foresee. And that's when you get the essence of, you know, how to look at these companies and these individuals running these companies, you know, and that takes time. Yeah. Um, and also understanding, uh, the different theses around the different specific investments that can be made, whether it's, you know, consumer, whether it's SaaS, you know, software, um, all of them are, are quite different. Um, you have to understand um, exactly how these companies work and how they scale. And that, again, that takes a lot of time. Yeah. Today's episode on investing is brought to you by Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. 
And it's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. Last week, I hosted Tony Robbins on Suiting Up, and we discussed tips around securing financial freedom, a lot of which he says gets buried in the additional fees. And that's what I like about the Robinhood app. Brokerages typically charge up to $10 for every trade, while Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees at all. Trade stocks and keep all of your profits. I also enjoy that the app is a learning tool. There's an ease in design and use. It's what we call in tech UI UX. You'll have access to customized news feeds that serve you charts and market data, as well as access to stock collections like the 100 most popular, sectors in entertainment, social media, and curated categories like female CEOs. Finally, you'll see a parallel list of what analysts think about all these stocks, giving you access to their ratings of buy, hold, sell for every stock. So here we go. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. That's pretty awesome. And to access this, you can sign up at rabel.robinhood.com. That's R-A-B-I-L dot Robinhood.com. I'm often asked, hey, why are athletes investing in startups and, and what is uh, so attractive in, in, in this form of investing versus you know, the traditional investing that we had mentioned that a lot of athletes were looking at, at least spending some of their money on. And, uh, and it's always you know, what makes the athletes capable of, of placing this investment. And, and you mentioned something that's, that's fascinating is that there's also the side of a lot of these co-founders and venture capitalists in some of their cases, their core funds that are giving the deals to the athletes because of how valuable they see an athlete's reach, their brand, their critical thinking, their creative that they can add to these uh, core founders. Right. Um, so deal flow, how often are you guys seeing deals and, and you know, what are you looking at on a weekly or monthly basis and how often does that change in your regimen given all the other stuff you're working on? Well, I think uh, the deal flow is exciting. I think we have... And, and you and I discussed this. I think we have deal flow of a top ten venture firm, uh, you know, in, in the valley for sure. Um, and given that deal flow can come from you know existing uh, VC relationships, I think the press has allowed us to um, access um, uh, deal flow from some really interesting startups as well too that that are accessing the larger VCs. But um, when our uh, intellectual property for say you know and reach possibly um and, and getting um different type of investor community as well too um so yeah i think the deal flow is 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 amazing right yeah. now and and you know I'm, it gets me really excited to see a lot of these different new companies and I, we're investing earlier and earlier now too as well obviously you know it's it's much more strategic to be an early investor versus a later stage investor um it's safer to be a later stage investor obviously the upside's not there um but again as you as we're learning more and more we're able to to feel more comfortable making the early bets yep Thinking about how athletes are creating their uh, support lines mm -hmm. and, and coming from the, the agency side of things, mm -hmm. now helping more as a business partner and creating these syndicates for mm -hmm. other athletes to get involved. The, what, the, what I kind of sketched out is, and, and you guys are still involved with WME mm -hmm. as your agents, is that be interested in your thoughts first around uh, non-endemic deals with regard to exclusivity and how mm -hmm. that might... Uh, jeopardize a an athlete's additive value to a startup mm -hmm. that you know take Roan right. as an example, right. lifestyle men's apparel yeah. brand, and yeah. if an athlete has a deal, a sponsorship deal with Nike, yeah. that might be something that you'd have to talk about yeah. from a relationship standpoint. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, kudos to uh, 
personal friends of mine, Nico Harrison, um, Mr. Kevin Plank, and Chris McGuire at, at Adidas. I wanted to um, uh, preface this before I, I get into to comment and buying, but I think their their businesses are going to change dramatically going forward. You mm. know, as athletes understand uh, their reach, um, the upside of um, these deals that um, that that they can negotiate and or invest in in these companies, um, and you know. Uh, what's on the other side as well too. So it's not just, you know, uh, you know, wearing the clothes or, you know, a consumer, you know, a consumer brand paying you, you know, giving you a check to represent them. Now it's, uh, it's being a business partner, owning it, you know, um, don't forget, you know, Michael Jordan is the only billion dollar athlete. You and I always talk about that. The yeah. reason why is because he owns Nike. You know, there's, there's yeah. a sufficient amount of the business that he owns and or they created a business for him. We'll obviously see other billion dollar athletes, but it's taken 30 years for us to see one. Um, that's not going to be the case anymore moving forward. And I think how we think about these relationships and partnerships are going to change drastically. Um, and, you know, venture investing is not for everybody. It's not for every athlete. It's not going to be for every athlete. And I think something that's important and it's important for us to say here is, you know, the what we do and you, you, you're, you're a big part of it. What we do at the conference is more so education, right? So um, it's not to to incline you to make these investments at all. Again, because it's not for everybody, you know, for you to be successful as a venture investor, you can't make two, three, four or five investments, you know? Yeah. Um, you have to invest a lot. Um, and uh, that takes a sufficient amount of capital and, and, and discipline and education to do so. So what I, all, all we want to provide is, you know what, it's out here, learn first um, um, before you do anything. And even, you know, the guys that, that, that have come to the conference and now um, that are friends and business partners moving forward. You know, that's the, that's the most important thing is um, use it as an ongoing um, education. It's not just to do it just because it's the thing of the moment or it's cool yep. or you think that this company is going to make you that much more money. You know, you have to understand that uh, most of the time that these companies won't make you any money. Right. Uh, make sure that you're in a financial position to do so. But most importantly, understand that there's a lot of education and responsibility that goes into to being part of this entire industry. And if you're not willing to do it, then there's no need to be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a really good point. So kind of zooming out, athletes aren't taking, it's not a very, it's not a binary thing where you get your, your money from you know, your, your playing days on field or on court, and then you're just going to allocate all of it either into venture investing or the stock market. You know, where most athletes have gone bankrupt is just excessive spending. And Andre talks about that often, how he says, you know, kind of put down Fortnite, and he talks about his first paycheck and going to Nike and buying all these Jordans and, you know, learning how to spend money. So mm -hmm. we all have operational costs and our lifestyle costs. So there's the spending there and, and trying to limit the excessiveness, but there are safer bets to keep your money than investing in startups. Yeah. Um, so I, I know that we, I mentioned the E-Trade thing, uh, but that's an example of, hey, you built a relationship with Andre and you invested some of his money in blue chip stocks. Yeah. They skewed technology stocks, and, yeah. and that's where you guys ended up building the first part of your thesis and in venture investing. But that's a much safer bet for yeah. a lot of athletes. And to get into this space that we're in, it requires a high level of education, learning about it, and, and, and building a network of people that's looking at deals, which 
then turned into mastery. Right. So you now creating with Andre these syndicates for other athletes to get involved. It's not a fund right. where athletes just you know act as these limited partners exactly. and, and, and send in exactly. cash and capital calls. Um, you're cutting them into the deals and giving them opportunities to learn and meet the 100%. founders and interview yeah. for the opportunity. Exactly. So it's just not, you know, again, um, it's very un, um, important to understand the, you know, the, the essence of a fund and the reason why I haven't started a fund. And as you can imagine, I've had so many different overtures to do so. And, you know, mm-hmm. it seems like it's the, the obvious thing to possibly do and it could be extremely lucrative. But again, you know, the essence of it um, doesn't work um, when we think about the thesis of exactly why we're doing this, you know, and the essence of exactly why we're doing this, which is starts with education, right? So it's creating the uh, safeguards uh, for the professional athlete and moving forward and um, getting the most out of, of, again, being part of the industry. So again, it starts with education, it starts with access, um, but also that ongoing education and access and making it efficient for the athletes as well, given their schedules, time. Um, I think that we've created a really interesting um, syndicate now and uh, base of our relationships with all the different athletes that are part of our syndicates uh, moving forward and it's, it's gonna grow. Uh, what what has also grown is is you know your ability to go out and network and create these opportunities. It, it was jarring when I first uh, emailed or texted you to, to set up a time to uh, grab a coffee, and uh, and you <laughs> shot me a calendar invite for six a.m. Uh, I was like, hold on a second, six and you, and you, and you, ni- and you nicely declined, and you live you're, you're literally my next door neighbor, and uh, you still declined a, a six a.m. meet, you know, and you were probably up too. So, so what what what's your morning routine? You're sitting in a in a perfectly uh custom tailored suit and uh you're 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 taxiing around manhattan and then hopping on a flight tonight to la there's a lot of inconsistency presumably by how how frequently you travel are there any consistencies in your routine on a day-to-day yeah well i try to build a, a new routine first and foremost you know i play tennis every day so i play tennis every morning um try to get to bed as early as possible to wake mm. up as early as possible. So try to wake up between 4.30 and 5.30 every morning. Um, and uh, I'm extremely organized. You know, you know that. You know, you can't, you can't do all these different things and, and not be extremely organized. And most importantly, too, um, I have great people behind me that I can't, um, that, that definitely support, you know, everything and every aspect of making, you know, our lives more efficient. So, um, I'm, I'm definitely a, a product of the people that I've been able to surround myself with and, and even moving forward, you know, it's going to be even more important. There are a lot of athlete kind of business partners. We talked about former agents and even current agents in some cases, lawyers, accountants, mm-hmm. uh, that to use Jimmy Iovine's comment, don't understand which side of the glass door that they're on. Right. And I know that there's a Where level do you make that trust. comment? I like that a lot. I, I believe it was on a Howard Stern interview. Oh, uh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> we were just talking about oh, Howard wow. Stern before we started yeah. recording. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, was, it was spectacular. And, and then given where, you know, Jimmy is now, it's not to suggest that, hey, just like Rudy here, you know, people know who you are. You've been on covers of magazines and you're leading a lot of these introductions to Fortune 500 CEOs mm-hmm. and venture-backed startups mm-hmm. and... Uh, partners at big VCs in mm-hmm. Silicon Valley, but for an athlete that across the board is constantly being pulled in different directions to know that uh, there is a safeguard person on the other side 
and not constantly flexing on social media per mm -hmm. se. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's it's always nice to see from my end, that. and yeah, and I'm sure that. all of your clients would say the same. No, I appreciate that. Uh, I think you know social media, the advent of it, you know, there's a lot of benefits to it, but it takes away a lot, you know, the essence, especially relationships. And uh, it drives so much in in, in aspect to, to popular opinion. And uh, again, I always think it takes us from the essence of, of what we need to be focused on and uh, the true fabric of the essence of our relationship. I mean, look at our relationship now, you know, yeah. um, and look where, you know, exactly it's going. So I think it's very important just to stay focused on that and everything else will take care of itself. If you enjoyed Rudy and my conversation, please be sure to let us know. Among many favorite parts of the interview, I especially enjoyed our conversation around why athletes are investing in startups versus traditionally real estate or t-shirt companies. You can join that conversation on Twitter. My handle is at Paul Rabel. Please let us know what you think and be the first to listen to next week's episode as well as catch up on previous episodes, including one of my favorites, a one-on-one -on -one conversation with NBA Hall of Famer, also an investor, MLS and La Liga team owner, Steve Nash. His and many more are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. Also, when you find us and that Steve Nash episode, hit subscribe. Give us a rating and review. It goes a long way. Check out this week's show notes on soonupodcast.com. And thank you to the show's sponsors today, Robin Hood and Molecule. It's a perfect duo to get your investing done and a sound night's rest. Hope you enjoyed it, everyone. Have a great day, evening, and week ahead. Talk to you soon.